Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, can we thank our wonderful team helping us worship and stuff? Thanks, bro. Thanks, team. Hey, as you have a seat, turn to the person next to you and said, see you at 9 a.m. next week. See you at 9 a.m. Yeah, the worship team is like, see you at 7 a.m. If you want to be on the worship team, see you at 7 a.m. A lot of sacrifices going on. It's so nice to be together. I saw some of you, maybe some of you have been away. Some of you maybe forgot where the church is located. It's all good. We're all about grace. Uh, but uh, it's so nice to, to see you and to be able to learn together. If we have not met officially, my name is Dominic, and uh, I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I get to lead and teach and uh, just pray a lot, pray a lot. And so we are uh, kind of working on so many things, and I feel that in some ways what we're talking about today has been in my heart for maybe eight years. That we are like beginning a teaching series that's going to help you understand better what it means to be part of this community. And what we've done is we've thought it would be really, really helpful with new people here, people online. Some of you maybe have been here for a while and you're like, I don't think I kind of knew that, right? To kind of be reminded in a fresh way why we actually started the 180. And why there was a very important values that God was kind of birthing in our hearts that are linked to the Bible to be the church he was calling us to be. And, and for some of you, that'll be brand new. Some of you will know some stories. Some of you will feel like, I know that one. I'm leaving. Whatever. Uh, you know, we just hope that you just sense that you're part of something very special. The other thing is you've heard uh, Jasmine say this and Dave mentioned this, you know, just that next weekend is kind of our anniversary weekend. And it's really hard to invite someone to a church if you don't know what the kind of church it is. Because people always ask you, you know, oh, you go to church, or you're into spiritual things, or you're into God, and they're like, oh, yeah, you want to come with me? And they're like, well, what? like, what is that? In a warehouse? That's weird. I'm not coming to that, right? So this series will help you have maybe the right language, some words, some values to say, this is the kind of community I'm a part of. This is the kind of church I'm learning to grow in. And we hope this helps you. And one of the things we want to do is as we look at these values, we want you to feel that these values are meant to be kind of like anchors in a world that is always changing, in a world that's going to keep changing. And I remember growing up in a context where change was always a bad thing because I never understood this principle, and you should just remember this, write this down, do whatever you need to do, that in the Bible, we are invited to, to learn and to be anchored in such a way so that we're not afraid of change. This is so important because usually when people become Christians, they become Christians really to resist all change. And so what the Bible actually calls us to is to be people who are anchored in a way where we can understand the difference between good things that are changing or bad things that are changing and find our place in that. And so as we begin, I want to tell you about something I read a few weeks ago. 
that has to do with kind of something in our culture. I, I noticed this in our culture of how things are changing. And there's actually, this is an exciting change. I learned about something in the restaurant industry that is about to change in some restaurants in Quebec. And that some restaurants are getting robots to serve people food. Isn't this amazing? The restaurant people are like, I don't know. Kind of nervous. What if they take over? Uh, I read this. I was like, this is amazing. So I need your help. I'm thinking about how to convince our elders that we get some of these for our foyer. Huh? Nick's like, amen, right? Hey, welcome. Sign up here. Are you annoying? Come here. Whatever. Uh, it's, <laughs> some of you got that. Some of you are like that. Uh, but it's, it's all around us, right? All of these changes and all these things that are happening. And some of that stuff, we'll only know if it's good or bad in 10 years, right? <laughs> like, but we're kind of learning about being Christians anchored to a story that is thousands of years old while we pay attention to all of these things going around, around us. And yet God is inviting us on and on in this journey of trusting him and knowing that some things won't change. One thing that won't change is that being open to the new things that God is calling you to will never be easy. Write that down. That will never change. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. The reason it was so hard to say yes to God, to follow Jesus, is because there's something in us that resists going places where we don't know, we're unsure, feels risky, and everybody who said yes to Jesus had to learn this. And I think of our lives as a family, for those of you who maybe don't know our story, is that we were pastoring, and I, we were living in Ontario for many years. I grew up here in Montreal. My wife is from Ontario. And some of you know our story, but we were living in a place where so many things in our lives were coming together. It was like a great season. Our church was growing. The people at that church were friendly and loving. And God was doing some, not as friendly as you, but friendly. Some are watching. Amen. Love you guys. Uh, but, but, you know, there was all these things. And I could sense that God was starting to prepare us for change. And I did what every one of you would do. I resisted. It's always really good when you try that with God. Try it. And I resisted, and I'm like, no, you know, this is great. And part of that change was God was starting to prepare us to transition out of this safe, growing, healthy church, expansion, big staff, all that stuff, to come and begin something new. And I was like, I don't want to do any of that. I'm not interested. I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure. And that's a bit of the story of our church here, how that happened. And I remember in that process, I resisted that. I wasn't sure. And for a while, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to talk to any about it, about it. And so for some of you this morning, let me just tell you, God has some amazing things in store for you and your family. And your temptation will be to come up with some great excuses to resist that. Can I just encourage you to pay attention when you feel that? To pay attention when you feel nervous or afraid of stepping out, of trusting God, of doing something new, and knowing that God has everything you need to trust Him in this next season. And He will provide that to you as you are obedient in the next step. So there's one thing that won't ever change. That those people who committed to Jesus, who committed to following Him, always had to work around this scary, unsure, confusing season. And we were doing that as a family. And I'll never forget the day when God just kind of, through mentoring and prayer and Bible reading, and just we knew that we needed to trust God. So we packed up a U-Haul. If you have a memory app, if you have Facebook that gives you all the memories, every few years I get this big memory. Hey, reminder, when you packed all of your life in a U-Haul and decided you're going to go die in Quebec. Amen. Let's go. So that's kind of the memory there. 
And, and I remember being so excited, like we, some people who are part of here, the church that were with us from the beginning, we came up with a logo, we thought it was so cool, and most people were like, that's kind of cheesy, so we changed our logo, we had a name for the church, and we told some people, they're like, that's kind of weird, so we changed that, uh, we're just working through everything, right, trying to, how do you get a website, how do you do all that, all these things. And then finally, we really felt that there was a vision statement that captured what God was calling us to do. Some of you maybe know this vision statement. This is a good morning to know it, to feel it in your bones, to repeat it if somebody asks you. That one of the things that we were committed to as a church is we wanted to inspire people to love Jesus and to love like Jesus. You'll see it on the screen. This is like one of the most basic things you need to know about our church, right? That our commitment was to inspire people to love Jesus. Some of them don't even understand him, so take some steps, Right? And then after they love Jesus, to realize that Jesus has the strength to help us love other people the way he loved people. I'm not, this is amazing. I was so excited. We were on fire. Like some of we were on fire. It was a mess, but we were on fire. And we were excited and we were doing great. And then one day I shared with somebody in my family who doesn't go to church about all my exciting ideas. And I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to tell them. They're going to come to church. They're going to say yes to the Lord. I'm going to baptize them. I had it all. It was all in my head, right? They listened to me really, really nicely, and then they said the most offensive thing somebody could ever say to me. To this day, I remember how I felt. I remember where I was. I remember it was so offensive that I couldn't even pray. I was like, I'm not praying for anybody. I'm going back to Ontario. I'm going to be a Leafs fan. That's what I said. That's how bad it was. No, I'm kidding. That's ridiculous. If that ever happens, hit me with your car. That's never going to happen. Okay, so moving along. Love you if you're in Ontario. Uh, So... I was so offended, they said to me, and I'll try to say to you what they said to me with the same tone that they said it to me. Like, I'm trying to say it exactly. They said, a church. Come on. Does Quebec need more churches? They said that to me. I was like, oh my God, oh my gosh. I was like so upset, and I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't want to say anything back. I didn't want to be like, I guess you're not coming. All right. I guess we're going to shut her down. I didn't get a chance to share this amazing idea. I have a good vision statement. I'm like, does Quebec really need another church? I was like so upset. And I lived with that for a few weeks. And one day I was praying. And I still remember because I made a little note of it so I'd never forget. I remember God saying to me, they are right. Quebec doesn't need another church. And I was like, "What what is happening? I remember God saying to me, I led you here not to just plant another church, that Quebec needs a different kind of church. So now, when I say that, I want to be really, really careful. Different in the business world means competitive advantage, okay? Which is very bad language for Christians. Different doesn't mean all the other churches are bad and we're like, oh, great. No, no, there's none of that nonsense. If you're a Christian, you don't believe that. But there was a sense that one day Jesus would ask us if we were obedient to plant the kind of church that he was calling us to plant. And we said, we'll do it. And we did that. And a different kind of church was going to be harder and more challenging and more scary than I ever thought. Because I wasn't ready for so many people who didn't want a different kind of church. They just wanted this church to be like the church they came from, but with more spice. With better worship. But but be like the church we came from, because we liked it there, but we live closer here. And I, I wrestled with this, and I still wrestle with it. And so as we thought about this next step, and what does it mean to be a different kind of church, I want to share with you for the next few weeks some values that are in the Bible that are at the core of who we are as this different kind of church. 
And for some of you, I really believe that if you hear these values and you feel them in your bones, you're not only going to feel more confident to be like, I'm part of a church that's different and is changing and is learning to trust God and is inviting people to come and say yes to Jesus, but you will see God do something special in your life as you commit to these values and to this way of seeing your life in God's story. So this morning, I want to begin with value number one, which is a very simple one. I thought I'd start with the simplest one and probably the most the one that most of you maybe will feel most often is that we as a church from the beginning were always committed to grace and truth. Always. That this was such an important value and yet we knew that there was such a tension to this issue. That if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're not familiar with with the story of Jesus, in a few minutes I'm going to read to you a passage in the Gospel of John where this value of being committed to grace and truth was so essential. You can go to the next slide. I think I have it in there, like value number one. It'll say value number one. So what does it mean to be committed to grace and truth? Now, the reason the word committed there is so important, and I'll talk about it in a second, is that we often lean either towards being super gracious or being about the truth. This is a natural thing. We, we will move towards those. But we need to learn to be committed to grace and truth. If you're not familiar with the Bible, we have four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is the last one that we have. And if you read John, it's actually written in a way that's very different than the other three. And the reason for this is that John is writing at a time where Christianity probably is experiencing all kinds of change. And so he's actually writing the story of Jesus to a very complex, changing world. And most of that world, if you read about the story of John and the Gospel of John, is a Greek-speaking world. So think about Jesus is a Jewish, he's part of a Hebrew story, and now God is just leading people to say yes to Jesus who are not Jews. And everybody's like, this is amazing, that's so exciting, right? But they're like, they don't always understand the story of Jesus. They need it to be explained in a new way. And at the beginning of the Gospel of John, this is what we're told when he starts talking about Jesus. It's the only one you probably don't hear about at Christmas. There's no manger, no magi, so people ignore it. I want to read it for you. You'll see it on the screen. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. And through him, Jesus, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is actually a really hard passage to understand and read. Scholars have written books about it, and if we had time, it's incredible doctrinal teachings come out of this passage. A Christian understanding of the incarnation comes out of this passage. But one of the most radical things that I want you to understand is that John tells us that Jesus, who came, has a special name. His name is what? The Word. I mean, if somebody asks you, like, what's the name of your God? None of us are going to say the Word. Like, that's not our go-to thing. But the reason John does this is he knows that in the Greek world that he's writing to, the Greek word for the Word is the word for governing order that gives meaning to everything. Okay, you like that? All that? One word. The Greek word is actually logos. And he's telling people, listen, we know you don't think you understand Jesus. He's Jewish, yeah, a cross. I know you have a lot of questions about that. The resurrection, we're going to get to that in just a second. But let's begin here. That in the beginning, the Jesus you will read about in the rest of this letter was there from the beginning and before there was a beginning because he was part of creating everything. How many of you would be like, I have so many questions? What? 
everybody who's reading and hearing the gospel of John, they're going to wrestle with this. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. John seems to be the book of Genesis for those in the New Testament. He's going to use the same language that you see at the beginning of the Bible, which is in the beginning language. So John is just going to say, let me pick up on that language and help you see how Jesus is there from the beginning. And remember, this is so important. This is not only a value that that I'm going to talk about of grace and truth, but it's that, that God in the Christian faith did not just send us a messenger. He did not just send us a message in the Bible. He did not just send us a book. God sent God. Full stop. If you don't believe that, guess what? You're not a Christian yet. We're going to help you. <laughs> That's the whole idea. Do you know how nuts that would have been for people? In a changing world to be like, wait, wait a second. Jesus, the guy who died and resurrected, he is with God from the beginning. We're like, you're getting it now. <laughs> Very good. And then if you keep going, the most profound thing John will say, that this Jesus, who was there from the beginning, a few verses down, the word, this word, who is the word? Who is the word? Jesus. Wow, 9 o'clock, 11. Bro, it's going to be rough. Okay. Jesus. The word did what? Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling in Greek is eskinosin. It means to pitch a tent. Jesus pitched a tent to hang out with us scraps. One that went away. Among us. We have seen his glory. We actually saw him. John is like, we saw how amazing he was. The glory of one and only son who came from the father full of what? Full of grace and full of truth. You can go to the next slide. You'll see it. I just, I just want you to understand this idea. That this Jesus who holds all things together, who was there from the beginning, created everything. He is not only God from the beginning, but he did something that nobody was ready for. He took on human flesh. The glorious one took on human flesh. All of us here have human flesh. Do you know how annoying it is to be in human flesh? Some of you are like, These chairs, my back, my earlobe, this, my husband, ah, I'm tired. Uh, Human flesh, we know, we feel it's broken and messy. And just think about the first time Jesus got a toothache. Ah, toothache, you humans get those things, right? He's fully human, fully. Mary and Joseph have to teach him to walk. Mary and Joseph have to teach him to burp. The one from the beginning came. And this is so important. And I I thought about an example that I could give you to understand how mind-blowing this would be and why this value is so important to us as a church. I thought about, like, to help you prepare for the future and change, I want you to think of a snowstorm, okay? Everybody snowstorm, you got it? Some of you are like, no, I already hate this church. Is that a value here? You like snow? I'm leaving. I'm Whatever. Think of a snowstorm. Snowstorm in your mind. You're stuck on the highway. You believe there is no God. You hate your family. You, you, everything. Everything is breaking down in your mind, right? You, call, you find, like, I have one more call with the CAA. All right, one more. I have one more thing. You know, you have the, they tell you you only have a few. You don't have the big package. And they're like, Monsieur, Madame, sorry, you ran out. It's going to be $17,000 for us to tow you. All right. So you get there. The person from CAA gets to you in your car. Your car is totally destroyed. 
in the snow, the wheel, you think you have a flat. They get out of the truck, the CA truck. You're still in the snowstorm? You're freezing. You don't feel the tips of your fingers. <laughs> that cold. They get out. And what they do is they say, hey, monsieur, madame, hey. In, in French, it's like, yo, person, man, woman. Okay? Just get in the car, and I'm going to go behind. I'm going to push you, and you give gas, and I'll tell you when to push. If the CAA guy says that to you, what will you say to them? Let's call your gerant right now. Because if you think you came here to push the car instead of just hooking it up with all the power of your truck and getting me out, that's not going to work. All of us would say that's insane. Why would someone with all of this power get in the mess and try to push you out? Why would they do that? It sounds crazy, right? It's exactly what Jesus does. That the one who was there from the beginning, who has all power to create, all authority in heaven, comes and says, let's, let's do this together. Let me show you what's going to happen now. And he gets in the mess of our story and he teaches us how his grace and God's goodness and God's love moves us out of this mess. And I can just imagine thinking, it would have been so easy if you did it with all the power you have. Just fix all of our problems. Fix our life. Fix our world. He's like, no, 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 no. You will be those who are marked by having a God who is full of grace and full of truth, not just a God who fixes everything with power. This is so important in the story of Christianity because everybody wanted a God with power who can fight battles and everything. And Christians will be like, when we saw Jesus, he did something none of us thought he would do. He came and he modeled for us what it means to be full of grace and full of truth. We thought, what would it look like if there's a church that takes that so seriously that we will practice this together every time we have a chance to live in the tension of grace and truth? Now, I mentioned to you earlier that when you're like learning about God or even in life, grace and truth are such difficult things. Grace is this loving, caring, you can never earn love of God right here. And truth is just hearing the truth, and you think about hearing what you don't want to hear. You go to the doctor, they tell you the truth. You're like, I hate that. You want to resist that. You're in that. I've probably grown up in churches that have felt the tension and picked one or the other. If you're a person who naturally is like, you know, God and church is all about grace. Just be nice to everybody. You know what soon gets lost? The holiness of God. What soon gets lost is that you have to live your life according to the principles that God gave us. Just grace is not a good idea. You know how we know? Because Jesus himself came with grace and truth. And then there's a whole other side of people that you're like, you know, we just got to tell people the truth. I remember a time in my life where I kind of camped in like, you know, I just say it the way it is. You know people like this? Like, they think that's a good thing. Even Jesus, who was the truth, didn't say it the way it is, just so you know. Jesus had a way of telling people the truth with grace and kindness, and wisdom. And I thought, what would it mean if we understand that from the beginning, one of the values for this church, for our lives, would be to do what Jesus models for us, to be full of grace and to be full of truth. If you just care about truth, you know what soon happens? Your church is judgmental. Your church is condescending. Your church is just tell all the people out there, they don't believe what we believe. They don't have... And if your church is just about grace, you lose that. So we know that we have to learn to be committed to holding truth and grace together. Now, I just want to go a step further. And if you're part of the 180, you know this. We want you to come here and feel like you're learning and growing. I want to tell you three important things about the truth. 
Okay? And you think about the truth. I don't know what comes to mind. I was talking to someone last week, and they're like, we live in a world where nobody believes in the truth anymore. I was like, okay, well, like, whatever. It's just the truth is a word that we use for just everything. People don't believe what I think is true, or people believe things that are not true. And in the past few years, just between all of us, conspiracy theories have made language about the truth, like, so hard to even talk about. You're like, what? What do we do? But we have a Savior who came full of grace and full of truth. So I need to tell you just three important things that you need to know. Remember, like, if somebody asks you, what kind of church is this? If you're wondering, is this the church I should be committed to and grow in and give to? Just remember this, that in a post-Christian society, in a very secular society, Christians need to understand there's a different ways that people understand the word truth. The first way, you'll see it on the slide, just go to the first slide, it says truth, post-Christian society is discovered, okay? This is one of the most simple way of understanding the truth. In the Christian faith, this is sometimes understood as scientific truth. Truth that you discover. You do like a test and you discover certain things that you didn't know before. Almost everybody you meet kind of understands this idea of truth. Truth is something that people discover. You know what? You don't even have to be a Christian. God in his goodness, if you read Romans chapter 1, you'll know this. God in his goodness allows us to see things about the truth that we discover from just looking around us. We just look at nature, we look at how things work. Now, some people don't move from there to believing in God, but they're like, there's something about the way science works, the way our world works, the way our bodies work. You know what? If you don't believe that sleeping is important, right, you've never met someone who stayed up like for five days in a row. There's a truth about the way we're wired that we at some point need to sleep. We've discovered that truth. We just know. And you know what's beautiful? Sometimes even you look at animals and creation. So this is a scientific understanding of truth. Now, the next one I want to tell you about is much more challenging. It's a little bit more challenging, and it, I want to tell you a story about a person in the Bible that represents this idea of truth and this value. Because remember, Jesus is going to model for his disciples that he was full of grace and full of what? Full of grace and full of what? He was full of grace and he was full of truth. Full. Not just half, not just full, constant. And one day he's going to be teaching in an area of Jericho, and he's going to realize that there's somebody in that community that has not understood what it means, that there's somebody who's with them that is full of grace and is full of truth. And if you have small kids, maybe your kids have heard this story, or you know the story really, really well, and it has to do with somebody who's very, very short in the Bible, so kids always love the story, and they hear, this, this gentleman hears that Jesus is coming to town. And I think actually there's a cheesy church song that talks about this guy. Like his name is Zacchaeus, okay? Miss Bev is here, so I want to be careful. I don't make fun of cheesy church songs. But they're like, there's like these songs about Zacchaeus. And the Bible tells us something about Zacchaeus' life that he's about to meet the one who is full of what? Full of grace and full of truth. And his life is never going to be the same. This is what we're told in the Bible. Jesus, entering Jericho and was passing through, there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and, and, and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could, not, he could not see over the crowd. This is great. Like the Bible tells us, Luke's like, oh, we remember there's this great moment where there was this guy that everybody hated. So in your mind, I want you to think about someone that everybody hates. Got them? It better not be me or we're going to have a big problem. Okay, worst politician, you got it? Worst salesperson, you got it? The person who sold you your car, you got it? If it's your mother-in-law and your father-in-law, that's not good. 
We have a class. We have a class for that. Okay, you got it? And Luke says, there was this person. He was so lethal. He took money from people who were poor. And he did it to the point that he made so much money. He was so wealthy. Everybody hated this guy. And they probably had all these jokes they said about him because he was short. <laughs> and he finds out one day, this guy Jesus, he's heard about, the guy who's full of what? Grace and truth showing up. And Zacchaeus is like, I got to hear about this guy. Now, this is, the Bible doesn't say this, but I have this feeling that Zacchaeus is like, if he's a good business person, schemer, manipulator, and Jesus is popular, we can make a deal. Jesus, we can make a deal. We're going to do a pitch. We're going to start a website. Click here. It goes there. Something like that. And Zacchaeus gets on the tree, looks down, look, looking for Jesus. He's looking for him, and he's trying to like, where do we find him, and how do we do this? And I want you to understand, it's really, really important. What's the first understanding of truth? The truth is discovered. As this is super easy. It's going to get harder next week, so stay in the game. Truth is discovered. Zacchaeus will teach us that sometimes in the Christian faith, the fullness of truth that's in Jesus must be revealed. Second understanding of truth. Hey, you can go to the next slide. You'll see it. That the truth in the Bible about who Jesus is is not something we can just discover. It's not something we just read our Bible and just find. God has to open our eyes and our hearts to see, to be revealed, that in this Jesus, there is full, there's full of grace and full of truth that was there from the beginning. Zacchaeus doesn't believe this. Zacchaeus doesn't know much about Jesus. He's just, there's a crowd. He's looking around. And I want to tell you something so important about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus represents a person in the Bible who does not need anything from God. I grew up in church where when we tell people about God, you just look for when everybody's life is falling apart. The church is made up of people whose lives are always falling apart and they come to church and we actually use language like this in church that does not help us. We'll say, you know what the church should be like? The church should be like a hospital. Never say that around me. You know what's a hospital? A hospital is a hospital. Okay? A church is a what? Is a church. Now, I know why we say that. We say it because we want people to know that it's caring, it could help them, right? But nobody just goes to the hospital unless they're sick. Imagine telling people their whole life the church is like a hospital. You know when they'll come to church? When they're dying. Zacchaeus represents a person who doesn't need anything from God. He doesn't need to be healed. He doesn't need, his life is working just fine. He has a lot of money. He's just like, let me check out this guy, Jesus. But Jesus knows that there's something deeper that he must address. This is so important if we want to be a church that reaches people in a secular culture. Because more and more people won't be like, oh, the world is falling apart. Do you believe in the Lord? Pray for me. They'll be like, I'm just fine. I don't need your religion. I don't need your God. Zacchaeus is that guy. And Jesus shows up. And he goes to see him. Something happens. The people lose their minds. That's what it says. When Jesus reached the spot, he's on a tree. What a disaster, this story. Jesus reached the spot. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. Oh, he's got to love religious people muttering. Here we go. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. The most profound moment of what it looks like when Jesus is going to model that he's full of grace and he's full of truth and people hate it. They can't stand it. They're like, well, what do you mean? I thought he was going to, he's a rabbi, he's going to teach the Torah. What do you mean he's going to hang out with this guy? This guy, he stole money from my grandmother. 
This guy killed my cat. This guy hates dogs. Amen to that. This guy, this guy, let me get this right. Jesus, the one full of grace and full of truth, invited himself to the house of a person that is the worst of the worst of the worst. He did this. Because to be full of grace and truth is to remember that it's always awkward to be full of grace and truth. Nobody tells you that when you become a Christian. You know how awkward it is to be in places where you know that Jesus is saying, be committed to grace and truth here, now, and everything in you is like, no, 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 no. This, this is so weird. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Everybody who got closer to Jesus had to learn how awkward that would be. His disciples would see Jesus do the most awkward things. He would sit, talk to a woman alone. They're like, Jesus, we don't do that here. You're not allowed to do that. He's like, yeah, we're going to do that now. I'm full of grace and truth. All of you will feel the temptation to feel like, it's just about grace. It's just about the truth. No, but our church, we're committed to grace and truth. To do that together. To hold the tension of that. To know that if we lean one or the other, we lose something essential about who Jesus himself was. And that one day he will say, the, God, the way that God sent me, I'm sending you into the world. We'll get to that soon. Don't worry. But Jesus is in this moment in this story, and he's going to teach everyone around who's like, there's no way this is possible. I want to tell you something that's so important in this value. If you stick around at the 180, and if you commit to this, being committed to grace and truth will always be hard, it will always be worth it, and it will always be awkward. Just remember that. It will always be hard. It will always be awkward, and it will always be worth it. It'll always be worth it when people who thought that they had everything they ever needed, people who thought that they didn't need God, realize that God is revealing to them that Jesus, full of grace and truth, has some good news for them. You know what Jesus knows about Zacchaeus that maybe some of us have forgotten? And we don't know what happens at the meal. I picture there's a DJ at the meal. I don't know you. If there's tax collectors who have a lot of money, there's a DJ in the house. Not really, but if I was there, I'd be like, we need a DJ, right? They're drinking. They're laughing. Zacchaeus is like, oh, I met this guy. It's Jesus. He teaches in the synagogue. He's in the house. The disciples are outside thinking like, when we tell our wives, they're going to lose their mind. This is so awkward. Do we go in? Do we stay out? Jesus, how long is he going to, how long is this meal? Just the tension. It's always hard. Always awkward. Always what? Always worth it. Always worth it. Jesus knows something about Zacchaeus that we easily have forgotten. What Zacchaeus' name means. Zacchaeus' name in the original language means to be pure and to be innocent. Jesus probably knows that Zacchaeus has moved so far away from the dreams and the vision that his parents had for them. When they called him, you will be the pure and innocent one. Now he's the corrupt tax collector who takes money and everybody's like, this guy's a sinner. Nobody should talk to this guy. I wish we knew what Jesus says in that meal. Because what we do know is that when the meal is over, Jesus will have transformed everything about how Zacchaeus sees his life. That he will begin to say, what I've taken, I will give back. What do I do? Can you imagine the people who, he, who work for him? Can you imagine people who owe Zacchaeus money? We're like, what happened? Like, who did you meet? I met the one who was full of grace and who was full of truth. And everything changed everything. 
There are people in your life, people that you work with, who've seen a church, who've seen religion, who think about faith as something that either just yells at people or something that just like, everybody's the same, just do what you want. And Jesus is like, both of those are wrong. Remember, I've come to teach you what it's like to be committed to grace and to truth. And to allow space for people to see that because as I reveal myself to them, they will need room to realize that this grace and truth is for them. The last meaning of truth. Truth is what? It's discovered. Truth needs to be revealed. And the truth of Jesus always sets us free. Always sets us free. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And part of communion is an invitation for you and I to commit again to being people who are full of grace and full of truth. I'm not sure how hard that's going to be for you, but it's very hard. I'm going to warn you right now that everything in you will want to pick a side. Everything in you will want to avoid how hard it is, how awkward it is, because you will forget how worth it it is. Because when Jesus shows up and teaches his disciples to be around people whose lives are a mess and yet he brings it together and teaches them that the truth that he said to them can set them free. Set them free. That we as a church are committed to having this value like just leak into everything that we do. Does that mean we have hard conversations sometimes? You better believe it. Does that mean we talk to people who feel ashamed and broken and that nobody loves them, that there's a lot of grace, even though they've made horrible mistakes, we do that too. And Jesus promises us that he will teach us how to be those kinds of people. Remember, Jesus came full of grace and truth. We are not just naturally full of grace and truth. We grow in grace. We learn to submit to the truth. And then we trust the Holy Spirit to use us so that people will know that in that Jesus the truth will set you free. I'm going to invite the band to come on up, and I want to ask you that as we move into this next season, that you would ask yourself what it means to be part of a church and to be part of a story of Jesus that grows in grace and truth. Maybe you know somebody that you work with whose life is like falling apart and they're not sure, and maybe they just need an honest conversation. And Jesus has given you the gift of having a relationship with this person. And that through your life and through how you live, they see something about the truth because Jesus has set you free. That you'll remember that this is actually the way Jesus has always intended it. That those who follow him would be committed to grace and to truth. But one of the things I want to tell you is that after Jesus taught about this, and, and some of you are aware of this, that the ministry of Jesus as an adult lasted about three years, approximately three years. And that Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's showing them how to learn to be in an awkward place, he's helping them learn to have the strength to do things they would never do, he's helping them to realize it's worth it because he's setting people free, he's doing all of these things. That there's some people who are close to Jesus who can resist being transformed by the grace and the truth, who can resist just the gift of what it looks like to be set free. At this meal, every time we break bread and drink of the cup, we meet that person in a way we were just shocked. And his name is Judas. 
Judas in our culture is symbolic of so many things. Oh, you're a Judas. You're a betrayer. You're this, you're that. But at this meal, Judas represents someone who can be around someone who's full of grace and full of truth and still choose to hold on to way of life and was never set free. That the love of money and the love of his own vision of things will have him be around Jesus. And in a few minutes, we'll read the passage. Jesus will say, one of you in this room will betray me. They were never ready for how awkward that meal would be. It would have been awkward to be in Zacchaeus' house. It would have been awkward to see Jesus talking with a woman at the well. It would have been awkward to see Jesus do certain things that people like, the disciples are like, this is crazy. Jesus, I don't know, we don't even know what he's doing. But the awkwardness of being around the table with those you love and for Jesus to say, you've seen me full of grace, you've seen me full of truth, and one of you has resisted the gift of being set free. May that be a lesson to us, that that could happen to us if we forget how important it is to be committed to the one who is full of grace and full of truth. Sing the song before we continue.
So in a moment, we're going to be taking communion together. And if this is you this morning, if you have a longing to be set free, if you are carrying heavy things, if you want to know what it's like to live your life built on a firm foundation, this table is here for you. It's here for us. At this table, we hear the good news that Jesus is the one who hosts this table. He's full of compassion. He's full of the grace and truth that he longs to impart to us so that we would grow to be like him. Um, and so in a few minutes, the host team is going to dismiss us row by row. And you will form two lines and come up to the front to take uh, the elements. So you'll take bread or a gluten-free option, and we have wine or juice. And we just ask that you would take those back to your seat so that we can all partake uh, together. Um, and if this is your first time or if you're visiting with us, we just invite you to let this time um, pass. This is um, part of what we do as those who are part of, um, of the church and we just invite you uh, if you are new or visiting or just exploring Christianity to let this time pass you by um, and so uh, in a moment our hosts uh, will dismiss us and I just want to pray for us Jesus, we come to you now in this sacred moment, knowing that you are the one who is full of grace and full of truth, and we long for that. Um, if we are carrying heavy things, if we long to be free, we know that you, you offer that to us in this table, and this is good news. Um, I just ask that we would uh, accept these elements, that you would sustain us in the things that you are calling us to and in the new things that you are stirring in us. Would you meet with us now? In Jesus' name. Just, just a quick reminder to add to what Bethany mentioned. Just then you grab the cup and the bread. Just hold on to it, and then I'll come up and read a passage of Scripture, and we'll take it together.
as I was preparing this week and praying for all of you, Jesus brought, brought back to mind the many times in my life where I needed his grace. Maybe take a minute and close your eyes and think about that. Jesus had grace for you when you didn't even know how to ask for it. He had grace. Jesus had grace for you when you deserved to pay for what you did, and he had grace. He was full of grace. Your marriage has stayed together because of Jesus' grace. Your kids still are close and understand that Jesus loves them because of his grace. Things you will face this fall will require his grace. There are other times in my life where Jesus reminded me that I needed his truth. Maybe you need to hear some hard truth some good truth in a gracious way. Jesus has that for you. In a world that shares truth to shame people, in a world that uses the truth to tell people that they're idiots, they're not smart enough, Jesus gives us the truth with grace. The kind of truth that sets us In this meal, we will never forget that Jesus showed grace by offering the cup of communion to the person who would betray him. That Jesus washed the feet of those who would deny him. And it was the truth of the cross and the resurrection that would heal them of those things. Take your bread. It'll follow on the screen. While they were eating, they've already heard that the betrayer will betray Jesus. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it and eat. This is my body. Just take it and eat together. given thanks he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you not some of you all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins before we stand just listen to the ending of Matthew's gospel for the Lord's Supper. Then Jesus said to them, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it 
I knew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Every time we take communion together, we're not just doing some old ritual. We're actually telling ourselves the good news that the one who is full of grace and truth will come back again. And he will ask us, did you live as those who were full of grace and truth? Did you model for the world that I had sent you out as those who were sent out the way the Father sent me? Did you do that? Can we commit as a church to make this value not only part of the kind of church we're going to be, but the kind of people we're going to be, the kind of parents we're going to be, the kind of friends we're going to be, the kinds of employees we're going to be, full of grace and full of truth. I'm going to have a stand. Maybe just sing this song one last time, the chorus, and then I'm going to close. before I dismiss you all next week what time are you going to be here turn to the person no not we'll see (laughs) tell the person next to you what time you're going to be here they will be looking for you and and don't all show up at 11 because we're going to have a problem but I want to say a big thank you to our elders and our staff and our team who have been working so hard as we move towards next weekend It'll be chaotic. One of the most beautiful things we're going to do is we're going to have our kids back in our worship gatherings for the gatherings. They're going to sing with us and worship with us. So that's exciting. Yeah. It'll be clunky and messy and all of that other stuff. You've heard a lot of things. Nine o'clock, second parking up there. Nice slide. Before we dismiss you, we just want to also let you know that if you're here, you want to talk to someone, pray with someone, cry with someone. We have people who are committed on our prayer team. They're just going to be in this room right here front, our prayer space, just to pray confidentially with you. If you're struggling with how to live in the tension of grace and truth, that's normal. But we're so excited for next week. New chapter, our celebration, maybe some goodies, some surprises. 
somebody loves me, they'll bring chocolate cake, but I'm just saying. Let's pray. Jesus is good to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of laughter, the gift of joy and hope. Thank you for creating our bodies with the ability to smile so that we can convey how we're feeling when we don't have the words. Thank you that there's people here who are not smiling today but are overwhelmed and that we can sense that and we can remind each other that we have one who is full of grace and truth. May you teach us what it means to hold the tension that is so easy to get lost of being committed to both grace and truth, Jesus. And as we do that, Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, may you allow us to see thousands of people set free because only you can set them free. Be with us as we go. Help us remember that even this week, as difficult it might be, that you are there with your grace and your truth to carry us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, love you all. See you soon. God bless everyone.